0: The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to kuci.org for the latest program schedule.
1: Good morning. You're listening to KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is your show host, Claudia, on Ask a Leader. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with our uh, headliners today. Be right back. Welcome to Ask Leaders, I said. I'm Claudia Shambaugh, your hostess. Today we explore the wonders of the craft beer movement with local beer enthusiast and multifaceted community member Biff Baker. After that, we'll hear a broadcast uh, previous year from uh, Professor Jane Lewis, who will talk about how she approaches the annual ritual of holiday note writing. Now, just to begin our uh, particular piece today, I would like to introduce my first guest that 's Biff Baker, a beer writer for the FreeRangeZucchini.com zucchini com online magazine for Organic Lifestyle. There were the founders and other creators of the Free Range Zucchini magazine here a couple of weeks ago, and we're having Biff on because I happen to have a particular delight in the craft beer movement, and I thought we ought to be covering it for the holidays. Biff um, is, for the last 15 years, he's been on the team of Alex, A-L-E-K-S. And check it out, folks. We're going to have them on the show at another time. It's a cutting-edge system for math education developed here at the University of California, Irvine. Currently, uh, Biff serves in at Alex's Corporation as Director of Advanced Solutions. Prior to Alex, he was an educator for 20 years, most recently at the program in Russia at UCI. Some years ago, you might have been here when dignitaries from then, the Soviet Union, hadn't broken up yet, and Biff was doing some amazing simultaneous translations. I watched him perform that feat. I've never forgotten that memory he's left there. uh, Biff has a Ph.D. in comparative literature from Brown, specializing in Russian. His wife and he have been here for the last how many years in the Irvine area? 20 years? She's been here 20 years. That's Biff talking now, and their daughter, uh, she's moved on from the Irvine Unified School District, and the, um, and Sage, on, or OSHA. OSHA, she, OSHA. she was at OSHA. at OSHA. and she's now attending Reed College. But before we let Biff talk, or Biff can actually chime in at any time, you know, listeners, I wanted to post you on a little background on beer drinking over the millennia. Beer? Has such the history from its first discovery of an accidentally fermented grain, maybe some 6,000 years ago, amongst Egyptian, African, and Sumerian tribes. It was a piece of bread or grain, it became wet, and a short time later it began to ferment, and an inebriating pulp resulted. Other than these origins in Mesopotamia, fermented beverages of some sort or another were produced in various forms around the world. For example, and I may be brutalizing all the foreign words for me uh, in familiar beer territory, is the, uh, for example, chang is a Tibetan beer, and chicha is a corn beer, and kumis is a drink produced from fermented camel milk. The word beer comes from the Latin word bibere, meaning to drink, and the Spanish word cerveza originates from the Greek goddess of agriculture Ceres you know, cereal, everybody. Beer was only brewed in the outer areas of the Roman Empire, later, 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 where wine was difficult to obtain. For the Romans, though, beer was considered a barbarian drink. There was the effete that drank the Bacchanal wine, and the barbarians drank the beer. But the oldest proof that beer was brewed on German soil comes from around 800 B.C. or B.C.E. In the early Hofstadt period, where beer... Found near the present day of Kulmbach had been dated back to this time. Following prohibition, we're going to scoot past all the Flemish and all those terrific things, but we'll mention the Flemish beers later. But following prohibition, when we're looking back at this country, I found it very interesting to learn after World War II, with corresponding food shortages and therefore increased substitution of adjuncts for malt, that's that large constituent of the, the original beers. A lighter beer resulted. So with a large part of the male population off fighting the war, the workforce in America was made up largely of women. Thus, marketing to this population solidified the hold of a lighter-styled beer. Oh, my, oh, my. Following the war, the large national breweries catered to the taste of this expanded beer market. Today, thank goodness, there is a revolution in America as brewing returns to its roots and a great variety of high-quality beers are being revived, imported, and I must say we're going to talk about the local purveying here, imported and enjoyed. So welcome, Biff, to Ask a Leader about this craft beer movement.
2: Thank you very much. I'm glad here It's great you, to be here.
1: It's good to have you. He's here in Studio A with me, folks, so this is a real treat for all of us. Well, let's start with your favorite question about what was it that got you so darn enthusiastic about this writer on the Free Range
2: Zucchini magazine? Well, I'm, I'm doing Free Range Zucchini out of loyalty, loyalty to my wife, but I really do love beer. I, am, I, I think I'm a genuine beer enthusiast. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but enthusiast, yes. I do th- think about beer a lot. I, uh, I enjoy it tremendously. But I got off to a very bad start. Uh, when I was 15 years old, a bunch of older guys got me very, very drunk on beer. I drank an entire six-pack, and it was essentially the first time I'd ever drunk alcohol. So you can imagine how sick I was. I was really just about as sick as I've ever been. And I couldn't drink beer at all for, for about 10 years. I couldn't touch beer. Literally, I would become sick. And then at that point I uh this was a, this was um I believe 1984 I was spending the summer in Germany at a Goethe Institute in Blauburg in so- southern Germany and I took a bicycle trip across the countryside. Uh I've always been a fan of landscape and and history and that sort of thing and this was a treat for me. Uh after one day of particularly uh, tiring bicycling across the lands- landscape, I stopped into a tavern, and I thought, heck with it. I'll have a beer. I'm I'm in Germany. Might as well drink the national beverage. So I had a beer, and I said, you know, this didn't kill me. I survived that. This was okay. And somehow, gradually, over the following years, I, I became more and more interested in, in beer. At one point, I traveled to Silicon Valley for work, and I stopped into one of their brew pubs and had a... Uh, uh one of those sampler trays that they provide, and it felt very cool. This was the height of the technology revolution, and I was surrounded by a bunch of people who looked interesting and prosperous and so forth and i thought well this this is uh this is a good feeling I like this and uh one thing led to another uh I really like beer mostly because of the variety if if I'm asked for example. What is my favorite beer? I can never answer that because what I like about beer is what I haven't tried yet, something new. Uh, unlike wine, well, perhaps, the, perhaps the, the the problem is that I don't know very much about wine, but it seems to me that wine may be good or it may be bad, but it always tends to be wine. It It tends to taste like wine, whereas beer... Uh, very often, beer doesn't taste like beer. You can you can find an, a, a practically infinite variety of beers that um, that are different from what you. Let's know. talk about that. Yeah. The
1: variety of beers that mm-hmm. is what's got me pulled into this. Mm-hmm. This I'm not. I'm not going to call it. I think Biff, don't you agree? It's not. It's not a fad. It's it's just opening up, and it's here to stay.
2: I think there are historical waves. I mean, we, we are as we talked about earlier, right? Since about the nineteen, since about the early nineteen eighties, we've been in a a historical period where beer has flourished. Oh, as I thought you were talking
1: about. I was about the thousands of wave, years waves. Well, but, yeah, there are but thousands in the of recent years waves. Wave. Right
2: in the recent wave, we are living through a period when when small artisanal craft beers are are flourishing, and where there is a tremendous variety of different beers. It's a golden age of beer in a sense. Uh, there have been other golden ages, but this this is one of them. Uh, and I'd like to believe that it will last. Uh I, I certainly don't want to outlive it because I'm enjoying it, but um but before then we this country has passed through periods when beer was very boring, when there were standard types of beer, what what Stone Brewery calls the fizzy yellow beers. That's in San Diego Stone Brewery. Right, Stone Brewery, which is one of the one of the really most interesting and most productive uh Breweries in the country, and we're lucky to have it nearby uh, but they they're very scornful of the typical beers that that people um, that people drink uh, because theirs are so interesting and strange and varied and, and so forth but so I think we're living through a great period for beer uh, who can predict the future, but right now things look things are very good.
1: Well, to tack on to two things that you're talking about, the variety of the beers and the local purveying, we also have the brewery, B-R-U-E-R-Y, uh, in Placentia. And they are making, they have an amazing array there, and those they're available bottled elsewhere, but there's tastings and those kinds of things that they do weekly featuring different things. And they, they're, they are bringing out... Brewing locally, what I thought, when I experienced my first sour beer, my first Guz, it was 10 years ago. Goodness, it was. And I thought, well, I'll never see this Guz in the States. I just, you know, I can't believe my luck. I got to try it out. But it's, it's here now. It's available. It's fresh. It's bottled. It's on tap. We can have all that variety that you talked about, and it's coming here.
2: Sour beer is seems to be the latest wave, and I, I I myself am a bit of a newcomer to sour beer, but I've tried a couple, including one at the brewery that were really quite intriguing.
1: Hey, good, it was, uh, it's it's amazing. So I, and I know it's acquired taste. I've I've you know brought to my uh, friends uh, attention you know a little tasting of this and that, that. I think it's an acquired taste, but it's maybe it's about the atmosphere in which you first try it. Mm-hmm. It was great.
2: Right, the brewery is a very classy spot. We we were there not long ago, and they they're they're closer to the higher end of, of local breweries. There's probably 20, 20 breweries in in Orange County,
1: and that's what you explore on the block. That's
2: right. That's what we do. Not just in Orange County, but primarily in Orange County.
1: Or you'll go you'll go to the the taverns and the gastropubs that have their own product available, or they'll have an array as like we'll talk about all these places, mm-hmm. folks, and and if you. Head over to thefreezucchini dot com. You'll see all of Biff's you know uh, you know um, amazing postings. And for those of you who just joined us, you're listening to KUCI eighty eight point nine FM in Irvine. Streaming live on www.kuci.org. dot dot org. You're listening to Ask a Leader. And Biff Baker is my guest. He's a beer writer for the online magazine Free Range Zucchini. And I. I why do um, you can explore, give us a little bit of a um, sort of highlights of your recent uh, tours, perhaps. And I must say that um, I'm taken by how you keep responsible drinking on our mind with, um, you know, you let us know how loaded Because some of these these beers really pack a while. They go past 9% alcohol uh, content.
2: Uh, So Uh, you let
1: us know that. And you talk about whether, uh, you know, I would have tried this one, but I was having to drive back from San Diego or back from Santa Monica. So I'll have to try this one another time. So so let's see where, where you want to visit with us on the radio show today.
2: Well, there's yeah, there's there have been a couple of recent highlights, and I I do try to keep it responsible. That's true, uh, but but thank you for the reminder because I don't always mention the alcohol content, and it's good to do that. You remind beer, us in the magazine, right? Because beer's beer has uh, widely varying alcohol, content. and you got to be careful about that. You there's a difference be between
1: three percent and nine percent, folks.
2: Right, and some of them go over ten percent. It's <sighs> it's not at all unusual to have beer over ten percent, which is approaching the strength of of wine. So if you think of drinking a pint of of red wine. You are not uh, right exactly. That's a that's a uh a, a proposition you should think carefully about. But in any case, um one place we we visited not you mentioned gastropubs and one of the one of the finest gastropubs around is is Father's Office in Santa Monica. Uh it's best known for food, but they also have uh, a fantastic selection of beer. Including higher end beers that you won't see in most places. I I very seldom seen a, a glass of beer on a menu for for sixty dollars, uh, and of course I'm I'm not likely to spend that money on beer very soon. But but it's interesting to see that, and it indicates the orientation of the management towards um, towards better beers and towards a very uh, inquiring. Research-based approach, and I should mention that this is the the father's office is associated with two of the great uh, women uh, beer connoisseurs of our time, Christina Perozzi and Hallie Bone, who blog as the Beer Chicks. So if you wanna if you wanna check out their um, their recent postings on beer, you can look up thebeerchicks dot com. Um, and what, they one of them's written a craft beer book. One of them has written The Naked Pint, there yes, we go. which is uh, an intriguing title. I'm really looking forward to to reading that. But but an interesting point that this brings up is the gendering of beer. And if uh one of my favorite another of my favorite bloggers is uh is Tatiana Peavy, whose whose blog is called A Strong Fugly Brew, and I happen to know her personally. I met her when she was working at uh, Total Wine. Uh, she's now moved on to something else, uh, but but in any case, she's probably the most knowledgeable person about beer that I've ever encountered. Is that a blog or a, yeah? Some Strong Fugly Brew is is a blog com. and a, and a beer portal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but but I would just look it up on Google, for Strong Fugly Brew. I'm not sure of the exact. Like it are. sounds. Okay. Like it sounds right, right. Um, we what we what we've witnessed in in most through most of my lifetime is a strong male gendering of beer. Beer is a male beverage, and it's sold using scantily clad, uh, sexy young women and so forth. So the the appeal is to men's masculinity. Now, why beer is particularly supportive of masculinity, I'm not quite sure. But this seems to have been the way it turned out. They were out. paying right, and especially in light of what you point out that the current that the the uh, the standard range of of beer styles seems to have been established with a female audience post World War II. That that makes it quite interesting. But if you go back, for example, to the Middle Ages, one of the ways that beer was gendered. This is th- I just read this fascinating article. On the tell. Web. It's the beers of Martin Luther. Uh, just look it up on Google. It's, it, it'll be the only hit you you run into. The beers of Martin Luther it was actually. A a paper read by this gentleman, uh, his name is um, Kim Winship. Thank you, Kim. Uh, he read this paper at a breakfast meeting of a Lutheran's men Lutheran men's group, but the depth of historical research is just is just uh, very impressive. He talks about his, his 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 the question he wants to answer is what were the beers like in that time. Uh, Martin Luther was a big beer drinker. His wife was a brewer. Um, part of his image was that he was a big, strong, uh, masculine guy. He liked sex. He liked food. He liked beer. He liked drinking. That was sort He of liked the, separating. He liked separating. That was sort of the branding. That was sort of the Luther brand, which this guy points out very astutely. But the beer... Um, how do we know what the beer tasted like in those days? Very hard, but he does the research that's necessary. He talks to the right people. It turns out that the, uh, Martin Luther's favorite beer, for example, was was called Einbeck, and historically, this is the ancestor of what we now think of as Bach beers or Doppelbach Bach beers, which are wonderful beers, a great beer value. Um, but back, they didn't taste much like what we call Bach beer. If you look at how they were made. Uh the conditions were not nearly as sanitary as they are now. A lot of stray bacteria got into the brew and what this what this caused was a much more varied and more complex type of beer fermentation taste, uh-huh. fermentation than we would ever encounter nowadays but the closest approximation would be Belgian beers, which also cultivate a kind of a random bacterial a sour uh, a yeah, fruity a uh... sour fruity varied complex strong uh type of beer that that's that's most likely the type of um the type of beer that that he liked and that people drank back then and the legend says that uh uh the day that he went to give his his famous testimony at the diet of I believe it was the diet of worms um one of his friends a nobleman gave him a whole barrel of that stuff so that, to help him recover because it was Apparently a stressful experience, but anyway, this is the okay, sort of before you go on, yeah.
1: That it's, um, before you go,
2: before you go into that,
1: excuse me, I just flipped the switch here. That um, the beer cultures I've been told in different settings were the reason those cultures never really had any severe malnutrition when the food, when there were other kinds of food shortages. And beer. so the beer, the meal in a bottle kind of line is no joke.
2: Right. Beer is liquid bread. And I think this this speaks to the popular character of beer. Uh wine is the beverage of the elites. Wine is the beverage of the magisterium and so forth. Beer tends to be the beverage of the of the people. Uh um and yes, I th- I think I think that's true uh in the middle ages Water was not sanitary. Water was not a safe beverage. Wine and beer were both safe by virtue of being fermented. Uh, But beer tended to be the the more filling beverage. There's also the legend that monks during fasts would drink balk beer to to keep hunger away. It was so filling and and so so grainy.
1: They still considered it a fast, even though they were taking all that malt down? Well yeah, they did.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I'm not sure what the, you know, what the fine print was. The fine print was you c- if you can drink it
1: it's okay. <laughs> yes, right. All exactly. Right. Wow, monks right. are fine but print. But any rate to, I to guess, finish up that thought yes. about
2: about the gendering. Yes. I think to some Do. extent the male gendering of beer can be traced back to the middle ages okay. and this this um this rabelaisian image of the male beer drinker. But in our time it's not that way. The the uh female brewers, female beer writers uh Female beer um, aficionados have become more and more prominent, and I, th- I think it's one of the defining characteristics of this phase in the history of, of beer. And I, you know, I'll say with this, my first
1: sweep of the brewery tasting room a couple weekends ago, it wasn't, it was, it was men and women were side by side, you know, at mm-hmm. uh, taking great uh, joy and a deep appreciation for what they were they were getting there. Well um for those of you who are just joining us we're talking to Biff Baker the beer writer enthusiast for the online magazine Free Range Zucchini. Well um we're talking about some places you've uh, you've mentioned a few um are there some other ones that you wanted to mention uh and maybe uh you could talk about maybe which makes sense for some sort of like a holiday gathering.
2: Uh, probably Stone. Now, go ahead down and that's an yeah, escondido. That's escondido, right? Where well, there's are,
1: lots of wineries and there's the brewery that's amidst right. it's, them. Is the
2: beer equivalent of a of a theme park. So it's it's the most fun you can have. Um uh I won't say I I won't say it's the most fun you can have standing up, but it's it's one of the <laughs> things that <laughs> so uh but no, there are lots of places around. Um
1: well, let's mention too that there's places that don't. It's not a, a matter that they are brewing it, but the like the the Beachwood Barbecue. That was oh, a real you. random discovery yeah, of mine. Yeah. But the, it wasn't random because I'm seeing that the, the all, all the beer fishing aficionados know all about that place, and I'm overwhelmed when I am faced with twenty one choices to make of craft beers. And when one empties out, a new another name comes in, and it's. They've got everything covered there.
2: Yes, Beachwood Barbecue is a landmark in Seal and, Beach, folks. Right. And then
1: they opened up a, a new place on Second Street in Long Beach. There, mm-hmm. um, but
2: go, you were going to say, how did you discover Beachwood Barbecue, Beth? I plan to go to Beachwood Barbecue for probably two years. I have the, I've had the uh, MapQuest directions in my briefcase for almost as for 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 probably a couple of years and every time we plan to go there they, you see they close on odd nights you really do have to check the website to be sure you that they're not closed on the night you plan to go up there and then they don't take reservations
1: no you got to you got to have so, your social life with you to to while away that up to hour
2: that's right that's but right. it has such
1: the neighborhood feel i feel like mm-hmm. i'm far away from any kind of franchise arrangement and i'm i'm in, and they tell me that there and that that wait lines because They said about 80% of their clientele lives right around and they
2: repeat. Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's a great place.
1: But it's not that hard to find. You just have to get to Seal Beach. You have to just keep moving along the coast, folks. And then when you're in that nestled little community there by the pier,
2: you're there. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned the holidays. Yeah. One one of the great challenges of a beer lover is uh, giving beer to other people. Because there tends to appear a kind of a gap between you and the rest of the world. If you really love beer, many people are not either they they're not that interested in beer, or their tastes in beer may be much m- more um, prosaic than 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 yours are. So, that aside from your own personal exploration of beer, which can be quite absorbing. There's also the issue of how you choose beer for other people. Now, I will never go to a gathering without a big bottle of beer. It will not happen. It doesn't matter who they are. I will find some beer and bring it. But the question of what is appropriate is is uh, is very difficult. For example, I have friends who, who drink only one thing. My father-in-law drinks only vodka. There's another uh, lady that uh, I sometimes uh, am at the table with, and she drinks only dry champagne. And these people aren't going to drink beer. Others are difficult challenges. I'd give that
1: dry champagne drinker some goods. Okay. I, th- I think uh, she could move there. But if they won't even try it. Well, you it, just put it in there. Put it in that fluted glass that's like right. it's recommended it, on some that's of these right. blogs. You have
2: to be aggressive. You have to be aggressive. But one, person whom I, one good friend of mine who happens to be a professor at UCI just doesn't like any beer. And no matter what I bring, she doesn't like it. And then the other day I brought Idor, which is a sour beer. I can't remember the name of the brewery, but it's easy to find. It's uh, capital I and then D-O-O-R, D-O-O-R. Um, I brought that over, and she said, oh, no, this is what I like. Okay. So, so, so someone who didn't like any other type of craft beer turns out to have a taste for sour beer, which might be considered the most recherché. Of the of the various the big craft fine. beer types, uh-huh. yeah.
1: Well, I, I for a long time I didn't even know that a sour beer was a beer. A night when I ha- saw the word "gus" on the the bottle that was introduced to me by a, a Brussels native, I, they, over there, you know, I thought, okay, well, this is kind of like a cider. It's kind of like a beer, but what is it? But it, it. I didn't realize it was a sour beer till you know it started coming mm-hmm. over here.
2: And we visited. You, speaking of speaking of places, we visited a, a brewery in Portland not long ago, Portland, Oregon that specializes in sour beer it's called cascade brewing a little bit hard to find but very much worth it they're probably the most experimental brewery that i've that i visited and about half of their offerings are sour beers so it's quite a it's quite a um a variety. Now, where is this? From. It's in Portland, Oregon. Oh, that's right, Cascade. Okay, mm-hmm. well, Cascade. Yeah, Broadway. Portland
1: has really taken off. They are way ahead of the whole West Coast with, with what they've been offering. I mean, they've they've had that craft beer from the uh, the Dalles. I'm blanking on the name right now. The, the Hood River one. Uh,
2: uh, Mac. Uh, the McMenamins. No, ma,
1: no, not the place, but the beer. The um. And Trader Joe sells it, but anyway, um, it's I can't believe I they can't. They
2: probably have fifty fifty breweries but, within the city. But links. there's
1: one that's been there for more than twenty years, and it's, it's oh, a, it's uh, a, you're
2: thinking. The, um,
1: yeah, it's the Hood River one. I can't think of it. But uh, I yeah, sorry. But While <laughs> we're wrapping up here because we don't have much time left, uh, I want to just sh- uh, shout out to to Trace Holiday, who at uh, High Time Liquor. Uh, in Costa Mesa has been... He's been my teacher of, you know, what keeps coming in new there. And, Biff, you wanted to say you've, you've gotten a great deal of value from a, a place in Tustin. We give them a shout-out, too. The, well,
2: High Time is is the class act as far as beer and wine stores are concerned. Another great store right around here is Total Wine and more. Total Wine in and Tustin. Any, and BevMo.
1: And Total Wine, is that the, in the district, or is that, that
2: That's in the Tustin Marketplace. Okay,
1: so that's... Uh, So we can find that there, and another.
2: Bevmo, any of the Bevmo locations? Those are they're catching up. Very good. Yeah, they. um, You know, it varies because management takes differing attitudes, and they have a lot of offerings. But I think recently Bevmo has become much more aggressive in terms of finding interesting beer types. Okay, good. Good. And if I can take just 30 seconds for Oh, a I want of plugs. you to take it. Yes. Okay. Plug away, man. Uh number 1 is free range zucchini, and yes. I did mention that at the beginning. It's And I have to. The, the URL is is just the way it sounds free range com. This is a, a an online magazine for um uh organic lifestyles with it's not just beer, it's a great many things. It's farming, it's um it's organic food, it's cooking, recipes, uh various things also a couple of a couple of my personal endeavors I do have a blog which you're invited to visit it's uh called pange lingua uh social issues and spirituality so you could go to biffbaker.com/pange lingua p a n g e l i n g u a and also I I run a social justice film series in Santa Ana uh, that we think is sort of the best of breed we we make a a, a, a terrific effort to find films that you won 't see anywhere else, for example, last month we had uh, we had women Are heroes. I guarantee you you will not see that in any theater. A wonderful okay. film by by j r the French artist and this this coming month'll we'll be visited by uh, a Palestinian activist from the West Bank who will talk about her agricultural cooperative. And what date's that? That will be the fourteenth of December.
1: Oh, 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 that's oh man, Biff. That should have been the first thing we said. Okay. I'll, I'll get more details. I'll put that in the podcast summary so that people can look that up. So, right, right. So, um, I Biff, that's all the time that we have. I want to thank you so much for being on our show. That's Biff Baker, the. Uh, Beer enthusiast, beer writer for the online magazine, as he said, at Free Range Zucchini, freerangezucchini.com. And, uh, and many, many other things. We're also going to have Alex on the show later, The firm um, the, from, mm. w- from which you work. I want to wish you, Biff, and your family a happy, happy holiday. And I'm going to bring out, I'm going to dare to bring out for my Christmas dinner about uh, as many beers as I can find and have them bring some more. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Thank you very much, Claudia. Thank
1: you. It's been such a treat. Thank you very much. As I said, we um, we are going to next play a pre-recorded uh, show of Jane Professor Jane Lewis, who will talk about our approaching how to write that holiday letter. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. Today we are having as a special guest, uh, my wordsmith of choice is literature professor at UC Irvine. Ms. Jane Lewis. Jane is uh, covering restoration and, uh, let's see, is it gothic literature and some other supernatural? Tell me what it is, Jane.
0: Oh, I think the, the easiest way to describe it would be restoration of 18th century British literature
1: but there's something much juicier on your website.
0: Oh, I'd like to know what that is. <laughs> okay, well,
1: I it's it goes into some of the gothic and other kinds of genres. So, and and radio it always talks about genres and you're on our show here talking about genres. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today our wish is to talk about the genre of the holiday letter or it could be just the holiday message that one writes on a card. But when I thought of this possibility, I thought of Professor Jane Lewis, as I said, my wordsmithing expert of of preference. And so today, Jane is going to help all of us consider how we can be better consumers, better formulators of this genre, the holiday letter. So, Jane, do you have an idea about what makes um, what st- What what gets people into writing these letters? The stock ones that we all get a copy of. Uh,
0: stock ones? You mean? Uh, uh, they, oh, you mean just the 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 family newsletter? The family newsletter? Uh, the
1: yes. the year yes. in review kind of thing? Ah, uh,
0: yes, a wonderful subgenre. Yes, <laughs> the yes. Genre of the letter in general. Yes, I have to say, the eighteenth century, by the way, was the great age of letter writing. So it I was. Think- We've lost a lot of that art tragically, which we have a chance to kind of recover in the holiday letter and that's a that's a good thing um so let's see the stock holiday letter the letter um, what yeah,
1: what do you think what need is this filling for people is it sending or receiving what is it about
0: well i think i think it's well it's definitely about both um I think for the sender it's about obviously the obvious things are sort of reaching out to people that you may not have been in touch with over the last year or so um but it's also about i think you know getting a chance to stand back from your life and interpret you know what what's been happening to you over the last year i think there's a real gain for the letter writer in it not to make it all about the letter writer but i think that's an important aspect of it um and for the receiver who is the more important i think person in all of this ultimately you know, it's about gaining, uh, regaining a very important sense of connection—not just with a person, but I think with the texture of that person's life—and that's a really um, vital part of of this <laughs> this subgenre that we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. That it's really about sharing not just the what's of your life, but the you know the hows and the uh, and the what it meant <laughs> of your life as well.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well. I mean, I'm amazed um, by the range of letters that I get every year. And uh, for many, 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 many years, I refuse to write these. Yeah. But I, this, ladies and gentlemen, you know that Ask a Leader is not about the interviewer here. It, but I, I, it, it's just my motivation for uh, bringing this particular program together. And I noticed that um, there are some that are just absolutely, uh, well, I'm glad I get those letters because some things I'd never know. And, uh, and I thought, well, it's a good thing I'm getting this uh, this copy that everybody else is getting. But when I'm writing them, Jane, I'm thinking, what, or when I'm think, approaching, and I'm ha- I still haven't done it this year, but I'm thinking about whether um, what I've just written down, that the people that I'm closest to, they've heard 80% of this. Mm-hmm. So I need to get on to something that is more creative, more self-effacing, more something. So... I, I guess the point of the show is for you to take what you, I understand, do very well with your uh, your proclivity towards wordsmithing and, and what you do with this ritual yourself. If you could lead our listeners through how they can approach this creative, important task of connection.
0: Mm. well, How do you start? Yeah. Hmm. I think you start... <laughs> I think you start actually believing in what you're doing. I think all of us uh, have, I think all of us have been, you know, where you are in terms of, you know, sort of thinking, you know, I you know, as you say everybody sort of knows what I have to say or most people do. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people have also gone through that conversion process of, you know, um thinking I'll never write one of these and then uh, at some point, you know, being overtaken by just, you know, uh, increasing circle of friends or less time, you know, to write an individual letter to everyone and have made the leap. But um, I'm someone who always, has always in the past actually looked forward to, um, you know, people's holiday letters. Mm-hmm. And I even like to read ones by people I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, okay, um, listeners, that's a point. Which is point. an interesting thing. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, but, you know, I just there's something about sort of getting a glimpse of the texture of people's lives. So I would say one of the most important things is actually – Uh, not to be so concerned about, um, you know, uh, what you uh, seem to be concerned about, which is, you know, everyone or most of your readers actually being familiar with what it is that you would like to say. Okay. Um, Because I think you'd sort of be surprised. And and in any case, they haven't encountered your life in this form before, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. I mean, you know, we live in the age of Facebook where people update each other, (laughs) you know, all the time. Right. and uh, so, uh, you know, that, that that's something to consider as well, even if you're not actually, you know, having long conversations with people who are eventually going to be getting your, your holiday letter. Um, but I think that the letter, you know, when it's undertaken in the right spirit, right, can actually, you know, be a, a form of communication that's very different from those other kinds of communication, very different from just sort of telling someone, you know, what's been going on in the last month or so of your life. Um, so I... I think one way to think about the the, the letter, and this gets into the sort of creative question, is really to think of it as a story, um, you know, that you're telling, right, which has you know, an open end, (laughs) but a beginning and a middle, and, you know, which really extends over, you know, the last 12 months, which is actually quite a long time. Um, And that, you know, one of the the, the virtues of or the the beauties of the holiday letter, one of its distinctive charms um, is that it it really is a sort of continuous narrative that um, gives you a chance not just to say what's happened, but to make sense of things. And so I think to approach the letter in a kind of, narrative spirit <laughs> um is is a wonderful um sort of way to think about it mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. if you're any kind of storyteller at all and i know you know some people you know very explicitly fall into the the kind of narrative mode you know this right. you know um you know once upon a time you know <laughs> um i was this and now i'm that you know here at the other end of the year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you know and it, there are a lot of uh, ways that you can kind of play around with that um
1: so, yes. So
0: I, I, I think you know. I mean that that would be the first thing I would say. You know, to sort of think of it as a, as a story, um, that you're telling. Um, one that you're telling. You know, very much with, you know, a number, a range of readers in mind, not mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. one. Um, but you do have a kind of captive audience. I mean, one of it the <laughs> other, It's true. I mean, one of the. It's different? true. <laughs> it's different from all. The, if you think about it, you know, this kind of letter is different from. You know, emails we send yes. uh, in, the, in the very important sense that you're not expecting anyone to write back, right? Um, and interesting, uh, yeah, and and which makes it, you know, I, I'm, I guess part of what I'm saying is just the, you know, the, the mode of it is 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 uh, in some ways very different from the other ways that we sort of impart or exchange information about ourselves, so, um, and that gives us a lot of a lot of you know creative creative license even if it's just at the level of you know thinking in terms of you know a story mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but in light of that I mean I if I think back you know I mean there's some wonderful I mean <laughs> the, the the harsher word for it would be gimmicks but you know sort of techniques that people use right to sort of frame their holiday letters mm-hmm, that, um, mm-hmm. can be just so kind of engaging and interesting we had one once from someone who structured his letter by just looking at his refrigerator and, um, you know, at the things that were on the front of his refrigerator, you know, the photographs and, you know, the uh, announcements and, you know, just sort of describing what was there. And it Mm -hmm. became a wonderful, you know, sort of capsule of everything that was going on in his life at the moment. And then he could sort of connect that back to things that had been going on over the last year. And um,
1: so Not what's inside the refrigerator, Jane. Uh, on
0: the outside. Okay. You know well, we, there could you know, be. We, have, we fasten things to our refrigerator. Sure. It's, it's, actually, we have a stainless steel refrigerator, so we can't do that anymore. <laughs> but oh, oh. You know, if you have the nice enamel surface. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you just kind of look at some place in your life, you know, like the top of your desk mm-hmm, or something, mm-hmm. which you know has bits and pieces of your life on it, right? And you just sort of start describing that, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You
0: end up giving very often a very complete picture of you know what's going on in your world.
1: Um, we're talking uh, listeners to professor of literature at UC Irvine, professor Jane Lewis talking about the genre of or the subgenre of the holiday letter. Yes, Jane, you were saying about there was this these techniques um, the, the canvas of the refrigerator door, the canvas of the desktop, right? Some other techniques well, that I like come where
0: to you mind. Put that. Um, well, um, some people do things like, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, the ten, the, you know, the ten best books I read last year, you know, yes. and then sort of build a story around each book, you know, or. You know, I mean, I could think of you know something like you know you know the five sweetest things I tasted last year, and here's where I tasted them, and you end up sort of summarizing different places they very you might nice have been. um but you know some sort of list mode, I think if you you know sort of really flesh it out and you know th- turn it ultimately into a story can mm-hmm. be a wonderful way of kind of structuring um I don't want to say information that's too cold a term but you know, structuring um, the experiences that that you've had. Um, and again, I, I think it is really important to remember that, you know, it's not just the content of what you're saying, right, but it's also, you know, the way you're saying it. It's and, the
1: and way. It's
0: 90% the way, I yeah, think. Yeah, and, and, and how you're interpreting what you're saying. I think those things are, you know, um, really, really vital parts of, of of this kind of communication.
1: Now, are you a believer in... Do all of the members of the household that are getting covered in this letter do they have to have some uh provide some kind of implicit permission for the content
0: yeah that's an interesting question and that uh, you know this is the the family the family um letter and I think anyone who can write <laughs> you know so I guess anyone over the age of six or seven should get a paragraph of his or her own oh good <laughs> good um and um so not only, I I, mean, I really pretty strongly feel not only should, you know, their points of view be represented, but they should be allowed to represent them for themselves. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And without too much editing of their children, you know, mm-hmm. are, or even on occasion a spouse, right? Yes. On I- the part of the person who's ultimately in charge of the letter, because I think a lot of the charm of the letter, I mean, I guess this gets back to the earlier point, is really the voice that it's written in. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And. I think, you know, a a reader of the letter, and I think, you know, if I think of myself as a reader, really wants to hear that voice, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so if what you want to do is sort of, you know, I mean, as as, as the example of a parent, you know, has a child who is writing a paragraph, and, you know, the child won the, you know, city science fair or something, and the parent really wants this to be mentioned, and the child instead says, you know, and I, you know, I had a really great banana split last week. (laughs) That's like the central, you know, event in the top Mm -hmm. paragraph. That's important to leave in place, you know? Um, Yes. Because, you know, that's what, I mean, since it is a, you know, it is a letter that goes to a lot of people and potentially has the danger of, seeming a little bit, you know, sort of formulaic, um, the thing that's going to rescue it from that is the sort of liveliness and individuality of the voices that are speaking in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so um, so I'm very much an advocate of the, you know, um, the full-fledged group. family letter mm-hmm. and the, the multi-authored family letter with one person sort of appointed to frame things and you know uh, have have some editorial control, but not too much you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know i I think that fulfills one of the major functions of the letter, which is really to let people into your life and, um, and ah,
1: you. I like but, that yeah ah, very very, very classic, and when you are talking about the structure of the holiday letter has a beginning, a middle, and it's an open end, and I'm thinking of. Some of the best ones I've received, they have a continuation. And I will, um, listeners, I, of course, you can tell I can't resist. And we're, we're also going to hope that Jane um, Lewis will give us uh, some examples. Maybe she will be thinking in, while I set this up here whether she'll be interested in previewing the year 2010 letter that leaves. The Thomas Lewis household uh, has
0: yet to be written. Think, all right, <laughs> well maybe to we could
1: get you started on that. But uh, this open-ended sort of aspect, where one friend, um, who uh, no no accident is a uh, she's retired now, but taught uh, language arts in a high school in Tallahassee, Florida, and she would keep us posted on a household, a, a neighbor next to her. Who used to slaughter goats in his backyard, and it was something they didn't know how. Nobody knew what to make of that, and so she would talk about how she tried to get that neighbor out of the hood, and you know what was what was the latest kind of uh, sacrifice done in the backyard and that kind of thing. And she just knew how to roll it off the tongue. And I, I don't think I have that sample here, but uh, she she always managed to uh, to help. So we could find out well what's going on with that neighbor this year, or what other. Calamities or or hilarities that uh, you know w- would build from year to year, so that's yeah. that is something that can happen with that structure. but I love the thought that it's it is there isn't anything that has that open end to it like what we would guarantee and i I'm also um so are what are you thinking of covering this year and or what are do you, or do you and do you have some samples that you can call up of, of what you thought worked well when you were preparing them in previous years um
0: let me think go back, just to take the the last part first, um, I guess I would go back to, I'm just trying to think back, uh, last year, one thing is that our family um, always takes a fairly ambitious vacation, Ah. um, and so that usually ends up to be... You know, our first substantial paragraph is...
1: You you lead with that.
0: Yeah, or um, we usually have, well, Well. our first substantial paragraph. We have a sort of intro paragraph, and then we usually kind of go into that. But we also have a photograph, typically. We We have one child, and so the photograph is always of him. Um, and Only just, have
1: you ever had the whole family no, sometimes? We
0: haven't. Maybe and
1: sometime, just yeah, every now and then.
0: Yeah, I we got a dog this year for the first time and you know, we're thinking, you know, we might be worth, you know, putting all four of us in there, but I think um but you know typically it's just our son and um last year uh, he he plays piano um and we had an image of him playing the piano very nice um quite recently to the time we were doing the newsletter that i think that's important by the way if you're going to have a photograph is you know it, it sort of try to tilt it toward the the latter half of the year so it's a little bit more recent
1: oh i say within the um, last 2 months yeah
0: yeah definitely a month and mm-hmm. sp- spontaneity is I, I think a spontaneous shot absolutely is, is really um, is 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 often preferable to a kind of posed shot. Um, Essential. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, we had that's what we had last year, and then um, the other thing. Since I'm a literary person, I sometimes like to use like, literary you know quotations. Oh. Um, and okay. The one that came to us last year it was funny because my husband and I were both you know sort of thinking independently about how we would do this, and we actually came up with the same line. Um, Which um, is from uh, John Keats's "Ode on a Grecian Urn," which is "heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter."
1: Oh, Um, beautiful
0: line! And so we sort of opened with the idea of the heard melody and wanting to sort of share the music of our lives with other people, and um, you know, sort of playing off the image of our son, and then we came back around to that image at the end.
1: Um, Mm. I guess
0: is the kind of musical structure in lots of ways, but. um, you know which is a little bit I, I mean i think it's important for you know th- there to be a certain lightness of touch to the newsletter and that's not really or the holiday letter and that's not really an example of that but mm-hmm. um you know it is it, it is you know a way of sort of interweaving you know the visual image and um you know something a little bit more sort of shapely, um, mm-hmm. and poetic, um, but very also fun. conveying some you know important detail about our life, our lives. Which in that case last year was certainly, you know, music was very important, um, particularly last year. And so you know uh, we were able to kind of build that, that in kind of thematically. Um, well, good.
1: Uh, we want to just remind our listeners you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming live on. KUCI.org talking with Professor Jane Lewis talking about the subgenre of the holiday letter. So I like that uh, that the quotation setting it up. Um, what other devices are the Lewis Thomases considering?
0: Uh, let's see. For this year. Well, you know, we really haven't talked about it very much. I'm Uh kind of embarrassed (laughs) to say it. This is supposed to kick kick me in the rear end. Well, here's the spontaneity then. You know, like urgency is going to breed. What will we? What What will we do? Let's see. We were in London last summer. My Uh son was. You know, I really. completely besotted with the London underground. Um, so we it's conceivable we might do some sort of you know, public transportation, sort of mm-hmm. roots of our lives kinds of theme.
1: Or underground.
0: Um, yeah, oh, I like that. A subterranean that. Yes.
1: sort of... Uh, Subconscious, yeah. sub, sub, sub.
0: Our buried lives, which we don't want to inquire into too closely. But okay. <laughs> which I think that's an, another important thing, aspect of the, of the holiday letter is you know you want to you know give some details but you know you don't want to go too deep for the general reader. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, or minding the gap—the great sort of slogan of the of the London Underground. Uh huh. Uh huh. So I'm just sort of thinking of that off the top of my head. Um, yeah, we were also in Paris for a while, and apparently there's a picture of my son with a napkin on his head in a cafe. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know, might mm-hmm. do something with sort of you know the being you know a little bit transgressive and in a very cultured environment. But um, yep. yeah, I I'm not sure, but we do do tend to think sort of our letters tend to be a little bit more sort of thematic in that way rather than. Um, you know some of the suggestions I was. You know the the list like you know playful list you know mode that I was talking about mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah uh, one year we had a picture of my son with at a drinking fountain. This is actually in the south of France. It was a great image you know he looked it very sort of the water just looks very delicious and
1: yes like he's
0: you know really enjoying it it's a b- and it's a very hot bright day and it's a great image and you know the theme of our email i mean our uh, letter and the sign off was all good things and you know it was just about things that are just sort of sweet and good and you know, oh fine um, you know uh, so you know that's another another possibility
1: now what what role does something sad or something or bad news what mm. is there a, some dispensation or some is there a way in which one uh posts readers on something not so uh not so upbeat does it stay yeah. out or we is there it, it all depends on how you do it
0: i think it all depends on how you do it and whether you feel up to do it i could well imagine people just skipping a year or two you know okay that's <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's I mean, important that perfectly permissible you know in the protocol of, of holiday letters you mm-hmm. know to uh you know just sit it out if you really feel like you can't you know Kind of put stuff together, and I, I've often gotten letters in, you know, February or March by people who just needed a little extra time. And, uh, that's know, true. That's true. Yeah, which makes its own point, I think. Um
1: But I can remember Jane. One, we knew it. It was a, it was a family friend. Yeah. And uh, we knew. I mean, she was. This was when uh, dialysis machines were brand new, and mm-hmm. sort of her, her terminal uh, aspect was. It was real. Uh, it was pretty inevitable there. And I remember. They they just went into a black and white photograph with the f- surviving family members, and oh. it was sort of a there was a, sol- a a solemnity and a nobility in the black and white print and uh, how mm-hmm. you know how it was prepared. This is so long ago, but i um, oh, I'm just though. so everybody yeah. knew we, you could tell right when you opened up that okay this was this was going to be yeah. just the three of them, not the four anymore. Right. But anyway, and it
0: said everything.
1: It yeah. said everything, and it's yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, no, it's, re- it's and you know, I had a really, a very dear cousin who was an artist and who did, you know, just wonderful letters every year, who died two years ago, right before Christmas, and the family, you know, actually did send out the letters, you know, and, and just described her death very gracefully, but described it, and I think this is an important point. Yes, it please. Part, part of the ongoing life of the family, and you know, emphasizing how important the letter was to her and that's why they were going on with it. And also a tribute. And we, but weaving her death, I mean I mean this is so important. I mean no matter what it is, the death is an extreme example. But yes. you know, whatever whatever it is, right, um, to understand and I think this is the use of the letter for the letter writer, that to understand that, you know, that is a part of an ongoing life, right? And yes. ongoing lives. And there's a way of assimilating that to the letter that can actually make the letter more life affirming than it would be if it were just sort of bland good news right or exactly evasion of the topic and i've had many many letters like that there was i had one just last year from a friend whose husband was diagnosed with a a brain tumor and he in fact has since um died and sort of amazing you know that the the letter sort of started out describing this exuberant time they'd had in
1: in barcelona
0: you know Mm -hmm. and then you know this sort of disquieting diagnosis comes you know and then the last part of it was just a description of their daily lives and the kinds of you know meaning that they were finding in, um you know just the experience of, of an ordinary day and um it just ended up making life feel really precious without downplaying you know their pain or falsifying their experience, but you know, um, but fulfilling the you know, I mean, the, you know, the point of this time of year, no matter what kind of tradition you're coming out of, you know, just the idea of the new year, right? Right, the idea of,
1: right. And Jane, it's know. it fits in the form you're talking about. We we're going to have to wrap this up pretty mm-hmm. shortly, but you're talking about the form of the the in the beginning, the middle, and an open end is yeah. where where they go, uh, surviving this loved one in, in their the family in their in their workplace in their social circle you know whichever whatever the reflection is about that well I think you have provided all of us invaluable insight inspiration and direction on how we can all do ourselves a a a world of good in approaching this uh, ritual uh, giving us more meaning uh, to take out there, and uh, challenging us to uh, reach in for something we hadn't maybe fully uh, fully uh, realized, fully tapped into, and this is our chance. Thanks to you, Jane.
0: Yeah, oh, well, thank you. This has been really fun to talk to you.
1: Well, it's a pleasure, and uh, maybe, uh, we c- I don't know that we're going to get into a- an annual thing, but we can... or maybe uh, another time of year a literary tradition can come up and we can have Professor Jane Lewis weigh in with how we can make more of that. Well, I I really do want to thank you for being on the show and we'll uh, stay tuned with uh, the the, uh, up-and-coming program in the next weeks to come. Jane, thank you very, very much for for coming on the show today.
0: Oh, thank you for asking.
1: Thanks a lot. It was lots of fun. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Happy holidays. Same
0: to you. Bye.
1: Thank you for joining us for another edition of Ask a Leader. I wanted to post listeners uh, today on the um, earlier mentioned uh, event. It'll be um, the it's going to be Vivian Sansour, the uh, speaker at a Canaan Fair Trade um, topic. It's at the Episcopalian Church of the Messiah at six fourteen North Bush Street in Santa Anna. That's next Wednesday, a week from tomorrow, December fifth excuse me, December 14th, 7 p.m. That's the Canaan Fair Trade um, talk by Vivian Sansour about uh, Palestinian products, Episcopalian Church of the Messiah, 614 North Bush Street, December 14th, as I said, 7 p.m. Next is George Had a Hat with uh, George Rosales. Happy holidays all. Thanks for joining me today.